that's you. Trying to disguise yourself as a worker bee. That's you trying to blend in with hive. But you're not a worker bee. You're a renegade killer bee. Killer bee. Killer bee. Viceberg Slim. I will chop your heads off! Welcome to In Broad Daylight, a politics and news podcast with your hosts, Adam Todd Brown, Luis Prada, and Ian Forty. Hey, everybody. Welcome to In Broad Daylight, a politics and news podcast. I'm Adam Todd Brown. You two race to say your name first. Luis Prada. God damn. I'm over this. No, but you can't be. <laughs> That this it's just how the podcast starts, and every single time you just get lapped. Forty. Ian just doesn't have that competitive fire that I clearly have. I agree. I agree. It's a competitive determination that one of you clearly lacks, and I don't want to say who it is, but <laughs> I think we could all Man. determine. We can all parse it out. I think everyone has figured it out. Uh, Lewis, how's it going? I'm doing very well. How you doing, Adam? Oh, I'm doing just fantastic, like everyone else in the world right now. Oh, is there something happening? Yeah, I mean, there have been a few things, but I think they've all passed. I think we're all back to normal, as usual. So it's been fine. Forty, how are you? I'm also doing wonderfully wonderful. (laughs) Edit, cut that out. I mean, you're in Canada, and that place is perfect. So what what could be going on? That's true. We are back to doing our regular stuff on this podcast. The last episode was a solo episode because I watched Trump's Tulsa rally and had lots and lots of things to say about it. But we're back to doing the, the segments and things this week. However, shortly before we started recording, I noticed that the intro songs are no longer on the soundboard. No. What will we do? Well, what we'll have to do is I'll introduce the segments and we'll just have to pretend that music is playing and then I'll have to edit that in after. Lot a lot more work for me. Neither of you two. Don't you two worry about it. It's just me. It's fine. I was ready to sing like a verse of Jimmy Crack Corn or something, but <laughs> I mean that might work too, but we should get to our first segment which is called Fashion do you hear the music? It sounds so cool. I'm still dancing yeah. just in case, you know, just to, just to get the mood, the groove of the episode. I don't want to lose my rhythm. I dance through most of this podcast. Mm. This is a segment where we talk about fascism and how it's so fucking hot right now. Faded out. I assume the music has faded out by now. Mm-hmm. How about those mystery troops in Portland? That's fun stuff, right? Oh, it's they're such a blast. I love I love when my uh, totalitarian soldiers come masked in and they're like a little neat surprise. Who's under there? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's really great. They just have generic police patches on their uniform, which I assume you can buy online. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like I this story makes me kind of want to buy some fatigues and slap a police badge on them and just go arrest people I don't like. Yeah, if I had known that, I would have kept all my old airsoft gear and uh, just if ever I felt like going on a huge power trip and just arresting randos on the street, claiming I was a government operative of some sort, man, that would have been great. 
Yeah, this is this is nuts. It was first reported on by Oregon Public Broadcasting. There's a video that's been circulating online where two men in full fucking military garb and like we said, generic police patches, they just roll up in a fucking soccer mom minivan and snatch a protester named Mark Pettibone. Uh, just snatch him up off the street, throw him in a van, drive off into the night. Uh, at first, people weren't even sure what government agency was doing this, but we later learned it's Customs and Border Patrol, which we could just do away with them forever, and I feel like I'd be <laughs> mostly fine with it. Yeah, and of course, the president has been grooming them since he got into office, his own little uh, personal uh, Gestapo. And it just lets you know that if like he had complete power and absolutely nothing holding him back, which he almost has, that he would absolutely just have the Klan marching down the street, dragging people in nets like a Planet of the Apes or something. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like we're we're getting there pretty quick. At least I have to. Uh, give some respect to the people of of Portland. I watched last night a live stream from Robert Evans, who used to write with us at Cracked once in a while, and he was there with thousands of people who were like, "Screw you, feds! You're planning to gas a bunch of moms yesterday, which is what they did. Didn't go as planned, and that made even more people angry, and more people took to the streets. So, um, if they want to be snatching random people." off the street for no good reason they got their work cut out for them now because they made everyone angry yeah but haven't we all been angry this whole time yes but now they're angrier and mobile at night even in the face of massive tear gas attacks yeah i think that this time is all about trying to find out how angry we can get before aneurysms start wiping us all out (laughs) i'm like instinction level event aneurysms it does sort of feel like we're being pushed to that point where i feel like the government, or at least this current administration, has no problem letting these protests carry on forever mm-hmm. because they know a lot of middle-of-the-road types eventually are just going to get very fucking tired of it. And that's that's a good campaign strategy for Trump. If you're tired of unrest in your city, look what we can do. We can send in mystery troops with police badges to fix all of that shit. Yeah, it's all a big commercial. Like the they used some of those troops uh, with pictures. I, I forget who, what Trump administration official was there or whatever. But it was just pictures of them in front of walls uh, with graffiti all over them. And it's just like, yeah, we're here to protect these walls. They should be beige, damn it. Yeah, it's a lot of rallying against minor inconveniences. Mm-hmm is what's happening right now. Like, yeah, I mean, I guess if you lived in, I don't know, Seattle's Capitol Hill district, I guess it would be kind of an inconvenience to have like the Capitol Hill autonomous zone and things happening in that area. But imagine being a black person having to deal with the police. That's significantly more inconvenient. And I I feel like we're on the verge of people losing sight of that. And just thinking, okay, well, you made your point. The protests have happened. How about you let us get coffee again? And I feel like that's what Trump is kind of banking on, is that a lot of middle-of-the-road types will just get exasperated by the protests and things of the like, and that's what will 
win him the election in November if it actually happens. Yeah, that's the hope. It's it's uh, when you see headlines about like mysterious unmarked unidentified soldiers just throwing people in vans and whisking them away i would hope that kind of headline wins over just the general fatigue of it all you know i hope that kind of thing sticks in people's memories yeah you would hope and we do actually know who these troops are we didn't at first Mm -hmm. journalist ken klippenstein wrote about this in an article for the nation and that article is about a leaked memo that the nation somehow got access to it's called public affairs guidance cbp support to protect federal facilities and property it describes a special task force created by the department of homeland security in response to trump's executive order about protecting american monuments (laughs) so that's out of all of this i guess it's not surprising that trump's main concern has been we got to keep those racist statues up (laughs) yeah he has so many um little pet project little little frivolous pet projects and things that that he gets obsessive over like the racist statues and and like he'll one one of his greatest hits is he'll just rail about like uh energy saving light bulbs and shit like that i think it was only a matter of time before he started using military force to start making people think that these things are important like one day he's going to send these unmarked, unidentified troops to like Home Depot to take away all your energy saving light bulbs. Like this is his dream is to make these little petty things he gives a shit about seem like they're the most important things in the world. Yeah. Forty, were you going to say something? I was just uh, wondering if, if that guy, uh, the first protester there, Mark Pettibone, was like on his way to, I don't know, push the Statue of Liberty over or something. How they decided <laughs> to pick him out of the crowd to be the, the first one that was going to get nabbed. But I saw the video, so I don't know. He was apparently just a guy who was walking home after the protest ended, but he was dressed in all black, so he must be Antifa. Better throw him in a van. (laughs) The memo that they put out, it announces the launch of this task force called the Protecting American Communities Task Force, PACT, P-A-C-T. And they are tasked with not only assessing civil unrest, but also surging resources to communities to protect against it. And even creepier, the memo that announced all this, it also announced that there are just some questions about this that CBP is not going to answer, such as where they'll be deployed or for how long. And What's really crazy is even without protests, these units would probably be in a lot of cities right now. Back in February, the Trump administration announced they'd be deploying BORTAC units to sanctuary cities to aid in immigration arrests. And those are Border Patrol tactical units, like the Border Patrol SWAT team, basically. And they were supposed to deploy from February to May, I think they were expecting that Supreme Court verdict on DACA that just went through recently. I think they were expecting that to go a different way and that they would be in these cities arresting and deporting dreamers. But that didn't go the way they planned and then the coronavirus happened. So now they're just uh, arresting protesters instead since they were already there after all. 
Well, use it or lose it, man. You know, you, you got, you got this uh, fascistic military force. Uh, I, I mean, would you just you know, let it sit around and gather dust in a warehouse somewhere? No, I'll break it out of the box and, uh, let's see what, let's see what, uh, what good it can do. Granted, it'll be worth more money on a future episodes of Pawn Stars if you just keep it in the box <laughs> and sell it that way. But yeah, you gotta you gotta unbox that and let it loose on the streets. Yeah, he might not be in office in no, uh, next year, so I mean, this is your one chance. Got to use it, unless Joe unless Joe goes nuts. Joe's already gone nuts, but I think there is a decent chance he'll win in twenty twenty. That's this year, by the way. Months from now, just oh. The election is weeks from now, and it feels like the election is not weeks from now. But it is. Uh, Speaking of that, should we get to our next segment? Please. This is (laughs) a segment called Where is Joe Biden? Here we go. Where where, 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 where? I don't know the rest of the lyrics. I'm assuming there's only the one. It's a very long song. I don't know why we would know the words to it. Here's Lewis's segment. We'll be right back. Joe Biden is out of the basement and on the campaign trail, his pale, underground-dwelling skin charring in the hot summer sun. His reward for his steadfast dedication to locking down amid a pandemic when, under normal circumstances, he would have been out and about is an enormous polling lead over Donald Trump while having done basically nothing to earn it. Joe's up 14 points in the New York Times-Siena College poll. Same with CNN. He's up by 15, according to Quinnipiac, 10, according to The Hill, 8, according to YouGov, and Joe Biden is leading Donald Trump by 12 points, according to Fox News. He's up by eight in the pivotal battleground of Wisconsin and only down one in Texas, where you're assigned Republican at birth. The real clear politics national average of every legitimate poll out there has Biden with an advantage so high it's practically unheard of. The RPC averages at around this time, meaning mid-July for every presidential race since 2004 were Bush plus 2.5, Obama plus 6.9, Obama plus 2.6, Clinton plus 6.6. And then big dick Joe Biden comes swinging in with a hefty 8.6 only down a couple of points from his previous high of 10. These numbers are a light at the end of a dark tunnel wherein we've all been groped by a man with fingers slicked with double quarter pounder grease. It's wonderful. It's stupendous. And don't believe a fucking word of it. But, you retort, Biden is up by at least six points in all battleground states. So was Hillary Clinton at this exact point in 2016. Look, it's nice knowing that Arizona, Florida, Michigan, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, which all voted for Trump in 2016, are all pretty solidly on the Biden bandwagon in 2020 so far. But as Hillary proved, it doesn't mean shit until the votes are cast. The statistical bad news for Joe hiding beneath all of this is voter enthusiasm. The latest Economist and YouGov poll of each candidate's supporters found that for 68% of Trump voters, every day that they're unable to vote for Trump is like being slowly edged to an earth-shattering orgasm that will erupt and destroy several city blocks come November. Only 31% of Biden supporters felt the same. Where Joe has the edge is in the, quote, satisfied but not enthusiastic demographic where he clocks in at 49% to Trump's 26. Biden is the overwhelming choice for voters with any functioning adult 2020 bumper stickers on their Jettas. The big picture here is that Joe has a decent shot at sweeping into the White House simply by virtue of not being Donald Trump. But that doesn't mean Joe was resting on his laurels. This was no better encapsulated than during a campaign speech on healthcare delivered in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, where he said about Trump, amazingly, he still hasn't grasped the most basic fact of this crisis. To fix the economy, we have to get control 
control of the virus. He's like a child who can't believe this has happened to him. All his whining and self-pity, his job is to do something about it. And look, yeah, in that same speech, he said the virus has killed 120 million Americans, which would be half the population of the United States. But as the pandemic rages on with its flames fanned by Republican leadership that ranges from piss poor to outright homicidal, the average Biden gaffe that once upon a time would have dominated CNN discourse for 24 hours doesn't even make a blip on the radar anymore. But it's not for a lack of trying. All Republican attempts to turn Joe's slip-ups into campaign ads ring hollow when their guy holds press conferences that sound like someone who lost their place in the middle of a demon summoning ritual. It also helps that our collective priorities have shifted as we approach 140,000 COVID deaths. The pettiness that would normally have saturated headlines are almost nowhere to be seen, again, for now. Joe has seized the moment by focusing on substance in a series of speeches intended to set his agenda, which swings from centrist to surprisingly progressive. For instance, his climate change plan. He intends to shift the U.S. to 100% renewable energy by 2035, in part by spending $2 trillion on green infrastructure upgrades. It's a boldly progressive intention that will get stomped to death in the Senate, all its lofty goals replaced by tax credits for sunscreen and inflatable SpongeBob arm floaties to keep our heads above the rising sea levels. Joe's using every speaking opportunity to remind people that even if you don't like him, at least he's not the guy who posed for an Oval Office picture with a can of black beans like Trump did in support of Goya's support of his Mad King vibes, and oh my god, that stupid picture made me forget how he was cool with Russians putting bounties on American soldiers in that country we're still occupying. No, 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 the other one. Lost in the deafening noise of COVID was this choice Biden soundbite. When the 77-year-old Biden was asked about his, quote, cognitive decline during a press conference in Delaware, he said, I can hardly wait to compare my cognitive ability to the cognitive capability of the man I'm running against. It's easy to forget that we're still in the hypothetical stage of the election where we're pitting our preconceived notions of the candidates against each other in a political version of fantasy football. Once the debates start up a few months from now, we're finally going to witness the horror we've all been dreading, watching two old men accusing each other of suffering from severe brain rot. No, 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 your brain sucks. Bullshit, I can levitate a car with mine, watch. <laughs> Despite the looming dark comedy of that inevitable exchange, Joe's been fulfilling his duty of proving he's at least better suited for office than his opponent. In that sense, it's fitting that in the time of COVID, Joe Biden would be the antidote for a fascist, corrupt, morally bankrupt maniac like Donald Trump. We're all hoping for a vaccine that will magically wipe away the virus overnight, but the simple and maybe even practical truth is that countries like New Zealand and South Korea have shown that you don't need a magical miracle elixir to bring infection rates down and bring baseball back so I can mumble fuck baseball when I watch SportsCenter. All you've got to do to return to something resembling pre-pandemic life is just wear a mask. In that way, Joe Biden is the annoying mask we have to wear that just gets us through this shit. He's not the cure that attacks all of America's problems at the root, he's just a thing that stems the tide and hopefully takes us back to less dire times. Like our pandemic masks, Joe Biden is not sexy, and the constant smelling of our own bad breath is a reminder that there's still some seriously rotten shit deep down inside. For as much as all the polls I mentioned at the beginning should be ignored until you cast your ballot, there's one unifying truth in them that you can't ignore. Joe Biden is currently our most effective, but least fuckable solution. And we're back. We're so fucked. <laughs> Like, we're fucked. Like, our choices are Joe Biden and Trump. We're fucked. Yeah, they're not pleasant choices. Uh, I, I, you know, the point I make in the thing is that he is obviously the better of the two, but it's, you know, it's, you're not comparing two great things together. It's shit and, uh, and, and slightly more fetid shit. Uh, it's, it's just not fun. It, it's, it's really depressing. How, honestly, doing this segment makes me 
first of all, re- look more into Joe Biden than I care to. I just don't care about the man. But his kind of futility a little bit, He's he feels like a guy who is often kind of going through the motions. And as you probably heard in my segment there, with, when it comes to him is you're not getting a high watermark of like leadership. You're getting a guy who is kind of just doing the bare bones, which look, that's it'd be nice to have that as like a return to normalcy. He's not a guy who's going to be transformational. He's just going to transition us from a terrible situation to hopefully a less terrible one and potentially a a good one who knows, but it's, it just, it's so demoralizing knowing that this is, (laughs) this, these are our options. And I, I curse this goddamn segment for making me realize that every couple of weeks. 40, if you were in the U S who would you vote for in 2020? Is Kanye on the ballot? (laughs) He's about to be, I think. Yeah, I, mean, oh, I, I do like the idea that that Biden could go with with the slogan like Joe Biden less terrible twenty twenty. That seems all we could really strive for at this point, and I, I believe the entire world, uh, not just Canadians and most of America, would really hope that everyone votes for Joe Biden. But he really doesn't seem like he's going to try to actively murder most of the population. And that's like the best we can hope for right now, at least at from the current state that we sit in, like I'm in Florida and COVID rates have exploded. People are bathing in COVID. They're brushing their teeth with it. It's, <laughs> it's, uh, it, 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 just to have leadership that says, Hey, maybe we shouldn't be doing this guys at the bare minimum would be an improvement. And I guess the, the upside for a Biden administration is that the, stakes are high but the expectations have been that have been set so far are pretty low he doesn't have to be transformative he just has to be not a fuck up and he could be a success and if he does win there will be a sigh of relief relief breathed like across the world and we'll be living in that the afterglow of that victory who assuming trump doesn't try to stay in office there's that's a whole mess i won't even get into but there will be a, a sigh of relief just breathe all across the country and the world and then there'll be the cold hard reality once he gets into office of so what are you going to do now buddy and uh and that's going to be the interesting part where we really see if he actually wanted to be president or if he just felt like it was his birthright like a hillary kind of thing yeah i'm interested to see how progressive types react to a joe biden presidency because there's nothing progressive about joe biden The most progressive thing about him is that he's not Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I know a lot of people have been touting the fact that he's getting more progressive, but it's still just the campaign. And there's nothing about Joe Biden's track record that says progressive. And like, even if he, I mean, he's going to pick someone who's relatively progressive for his vice president candidate presumably but even then you got to wait four more years for any actual change to happen and it's just such a bummer that in the face of another four years of donald trump this is what we came up with to fight it is fucking joe biden like joe biden is almost the worst option the democrats could have gone with His track record on, like, law enforcement stuff, if nothing else, is so, so problematic at a time when the other candidate is someone that 
we routinely label as a racist, which sure he is, but also he didn't sign that fucking crime bill. That was Joe Biden. And I think a lot of people, I think a lot of liberals are kind of delusional when it comes to Joe Biden and just assuming that anyone who isn't Trump is going to resonate with this country as if four years of Trump have somehow eliminated the problems that led to us having four years of Trump when they haven't. They've just made them worse. And now here we go. It's so close to the 2020 election. Like, we are months away from that. And goddamn, I'm interested to see how it plays out. I'm interested to see how mail-in voting plays out. I think a lot of people are counting on that to just ruin Trump and the Republicans when I'm not so sure. Like, with Trump so frequently, at least as of late, calling out the silent majority, like, I feel like we're being set up for something with mail-in voting. Not that mail-in voting shouldn't happen. I just think it's, I think people are underestimating how strongly Republicans and people who want to vote for Trump will take to mail-in voting because voting for Trump is kind of a shameful thing right now. Like (laughs) people don't want to be caught doing it, but if you can do it from home, (laughs) I feel like a lot more people will. It's the, uh, yeah, it's the racist 13 year old teenager on Xbox live mentality of, uh, if I can, if I can hide behind, uh, some kind of, have some a- anonymity, then sure. I'll be a piece of shit. I'll, I'll dip my balls in your face playing halo and call you horrible things that don't even apply to your race or gender. Yeah. I still feel like in a fair election, there's no, ch- you have a better chance of a dinosaur coming back to life than the Donald Trump winning again. Cause I, I can't conceive of how compared to whatever his final count was in 2016. Is there even one more person who supports him today than supported him then? Is there any chance his numbers have grown at all? And he didn't, I mean, he didn't even, okay, so he didn't have the majority and he still won, but I just don't see how in a fair election, which I'm not saying is going to happen at all, but I don't see how in a fair election there's any chance he could win. Yeah, it seems like there should not be. And... I don't know if his support has increased. His support among black voters has gone up since last time, but I don't know if his support in general has gone up. I would be shocked if it has. Like, imagine not being on board with Trump in 2016, and then in 2020, (laughs) you're like, yeah, now I get it. That guy's great. (laughs) No, his support has a ceiling, and it really hasn't, uh, elevated above it at all at any point in his administration. It's like maybe if you average it all out, it's like f- like maybe low 40s, high 30s, somewhere in that range. And recently, what with uh, COVID getting worse and shit, it's uh, it's gone down. His support kind of across the board is is plummeting. Uh, but again, like it's, like you've been saying, it's we're it feels like we're we're getting closer to the election. But in political time and the amount of shit that can happen and and everything can turn on a dime. I mean, the polls swung away from Hillary in like the last, what, few weeks, was it? Things, they can go wildly out of hand, but we're we're far away. But man, it just feels like it's, there's still so much time for shit to go down and who the hell knows what happens. Yeah, maybe the FBI will announce that they're investigating him six days before the election starts Mm -hmm. and that will help. Oh, fucking James Comey. 
<laughs> should we get to our next segment? Sure, we should. This segment is called Sacrifice to the Elites of the Week. Kaching plop. We just stick with that from now on. Head roll. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Me and Lewis will just do the sound effect from now on. We could do it. Yeah. This is a crazy fucking story. Forty, do you want to take us through this one? This is just pathetic on, on a number of different levels. But the basic idea here was that a uh, while back, a 15-year-old girl whose name, she only gave her name as Grace in the stories, but she was arrested and is currently in juvenile detention, where she's been since May, for the terrible crime of not finishing her homework. And she was on probation for, um, I believe it was uh, stealing something, like a phone from someone else at school in an incident with her mother that got a little violent. So she was on probation for that. The condition is you do your homework, but she's, you know, at home like every other kid. She's got ADHD. She's trying to do the schoolwork online and she fell behind. So they just shipped her off to juvenile detention where she's been for a couple of months now. Paul Manafort's not in prison. No. You know, they're, they're worried about COVID for him, but 15 year old girl not doing homework. You know, yeah. She got shipped off. Yeah. It's so crazy because this also happened at a time when the governor of the state this girl lives in, Michigan, has made it really clear to law enforcement that unless it's an absolute dire public safety emergency, you should not be sending people to jail right now because of COVID-19. And this girl, who got in a fight at school and stole someone's phone, because she didn't do her homework on time, is now being sent to jail and the judge in this case is like she's really fucking adamant about having done the right thing and what we haven't mentioned grace is black and there is a quote in this article we'll link to all these articles on the website where uh, another mother at the school was like you know if grace was white she probably would not be in jail right now and i don't know how anyone could dispute that <laughs> like why is it so important to make an example of this girl at this moment unless you just have some sort of preconceived bias? Like, I don't know how, as a judge or an authority figure, you assume this is the right move. This is, this is what I should be doing for this girl's future. She'll definitely respect authority more now. Yeah, it's the knee-jerk reaction of systemic racism to severely and overly punish people who have uh, committed a crime or done any little minor infraction, no matter the age, uh, no matter if they're disabled, if they're fully able, whatever, it doesn't matter. It, as long as they are dark skinned, there are uh, several shades darker than you, you are going to use them as an example of that. You shouldn't be acting out in any way. And because the margin of error for people of color in this country is it is just so sadly thin uh there's no leeway that you do anything that riles a racist cop and a racist legal system and it ruins your life from your teenage years into who knows how long yeah it's crazy that there are still people who will look at a story like this and go oh well she she broke the law but like we know there are police all over this country right now who are not taking people to jail because of 
coronavirus. And people who I promise have committed way bigger crimes than not doing their homework. Like, I don't have a driver's license right now. But I feel like if I got pulled over by LAPD or Torrance PD, provided they haven't listened to any of my recent podcasts about police corruption, (laughs) they'd be like, all right, you need to get that fixed, but we're not going to take you to jail right now. And I don't get why, I don't know. I can't, I can't fucking put it into words. I mean, it's racism. It like, if you can't look at this story and understand why it's a problem, even if you've never used the N word in your life, even if you have a lot of black friends, you're a fucking racist. Like people have been screaming about systemic racism in this country for at the very least a couple of months, but way longer than that. And if you can't look at the story and go, oh, okay, yeah, I get it now. I get, yeah, you're right. This is pretty fucked up. Like, if you look at this story and go, "Mm, well, laws are laws, you're a fucking racist. I'm sorry, but it's what you are. It's like as old as America at this point, really, not to be the Canadian pointing fingers or anything. that Our (laughs) shit don't stink, but I mean, I think Richard Pryor released albums about this very topic in the 70s. So, yeah, yeah. It's it's a long-standing tradition. Maybe that's why people don't want to give it up. Yeah, I mean it's pretty sweet for white people. As a white person in the United States, I can I can attest that it's uh like I my favorite example that I always tell people when I I have a bit that I do on stage about it, but I got pulled over, well, I should backtrack. I got a DUI in Wisconsin and I never rectified it. I didn't like take the classes. I didn't pay the fine because I already had a California license. So what the fuck do I care about my Wisconsin license? But a few years ago, I was driving in Wisconsin, just really pushing the envelope. And I was about five miles from the Illinois border and I get pulled over and I'm like, fuck, here we go. I'm going to jail. I'm pulled over at the side of the highway. And as I'm sitting in my car, thinking about how I'm definitely going to jail, A tow truck stops in front of me and then backs up right to the front of my car. So I'm like, definitely, holy shit, I am going to jail. There goes my weekend. I don't have a license. And as this tow truck is backing up to me, the cop who had been checking my license walks back up to my car and goes, "Uh, Mr. Brown, I'm sorry. Uh, I have some bad news. Your license is actually suspended in Wisconsin. And I was like, oh, really? But like I fucking knew. And he goes, so obviously I can't let you drive away from here. So what we're going to do is have this guy tow you to the Illinois border. And then you can just drive from there. (laughs) And it's like, what? Like you could just be taking me to jail right now. But instead you're expending resources. Like the city had to pay for that tow truck. I didn't pay for it. And this motherfucker was so nice and helpful. And it's like, you would have shot me if I was black. Like, what the fuck is happening right now? Yeah, I have my own story of, of uh, my teenage run-in with the law. I was like freshman year of high school. Some buddies of mine and I were at our local uh, Target just killing time after class, after school. And uh, at the, this point in my life, I was like a big kleptomaniac. Fucking loved shop shoplifting. I was really good at it. Super good. <gasps> I was like a one-man Ocean's Eleven crew. 
uh, stealing Diablo three for people or Diablo two or whatever the fuck Diablo was at at the time. Well, I guess, um, I guess me and 40 will have a talk about your criminal past after this, but <laughs> I guess we're still a three am I, am piece I for podcast now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe like, I don't want to be tied right. oh, to oh, such I'm sorry. inflammatory I'm sorry. Look, things. The, my story about how I learned my lesson, uh, by uh, having a cop essentially when I got caught stealing uh, Sonic Adventures for the Sega Dreamcast from a Target. And uh, I the, the Target was directly behind my house. The cop was going to take me downtown to spend a night in jail, but he didn't. He let me off because I was within walking distance of my apartment. <laughs> and he like literally just like was... Uh, you know, you just, your house is right there. Just, just get out of here. Just go. He made me call my mom. So I had to admit it to her. Uh, and then she escorted me home, but like I just got off scot-free. No, nothing on my record, nothing only by virtue of distance. Again, going back to your point, Adam, if I had been black or even a darker shade of Latino than I am, things could have been completely different. Oh yeah. 100%. 40. Have you ever had any run-ins with the police? I helped a cop change his tire once. <laughs> that counts. That you give him a counts. slice of pie, get a poutine with him. Let him stay in my home for a few weeks. It was fine. <laughs> Canada's different, man. <laughs> hey, speaking of that, let's get to our next segment, which we call "What in the World." Oh, I'm pretending the music's playing right now. This is a segment where we talk about international news and politics fade it the fuck out the intro song i mean not the podcast 40 what's going on with uh vandalism of pro-nazi monuments in canada being investigated as a hate crime (laughs) explain yourself i did mention a few moments ago that uh you know it's not like our shit don't stink maybe we do have a (laughs) monument or two to a nazi or a whole division of them that I was completely unaware of. (laughs) This is a complex story because on the surface you want to be like, okay, well they're investigating vandalism of a Nazi monument as a hate crime, but Canada has a huge Ukrainian immigrant population. And a lot of those Ukrainian immigrants fought for the Nazis in world war two. And now there are monuments to them in Canada. So the the thinking here, basically what happened, there's a monument located in Oakville's St. Volodymyr Ukrainian Cemetery. 40, I'm sure, has been there a bunch because it's in Canada. Oh, yeah. Bring it back. Somewhere around June 21st, the words Nazi War Monument were spray painted on it because the monument that's located there commemorates soldiers in the 14th SS Division. And... Here's the thing, like SS, those are Nazis, obviously. But the the thing is, in Canada, there is a law that says it is a crime to make a public statement which, and this is a quote, incites hatred against any identifiable group. So in this case, the identifiable group is ostensibly Ukrainian immigrants. So... This could, in theory, be a hate crime. I mean, surely there are surely there are better Ukrainian immigrant war heroes to make statues out of, other than the ones who were Nazis. <laughs> you would hope. Yeah. Did no one fight for the United States from Ukraine? Everyone in Ukraine was just like, "Fuck Jews." This is this is the side we're on. 
and it's it's not the only Nazi statue in Canada. There is a statue in Edmonton of Roman Shakevich, who was a Nazi collaborator. There's also a second monument to the 14th SS Division in another Edmonton cemetery. So robust community of Ukrainians who fought for the Nazis <laughs> in Canada. And this is, I feel like this is where free speech and hate laws get really fucking complex. Because on the one hand, fuck those Nazi statues. But I also don't want Canadians just rising up against the Ukrainian population in general because these statues exist. I guess. I don't know. Maybe Ukrainians are still super Nazi. No idea. I don't know, Ian. What, what do you, as, a, as a Canadian, as a, as a boots-on-the-ground Canadian... Uh, do you think the, uh, the Ukrainian population there would be angry that this statue were, was taken down, even though I'm assuming it's extremely well documented that they were Nazis? I don't think the statue was taken down, was it? It's just been vandalized. Well, yeah, but like uh, just yeah, hypothetically, let's just say like if anything were to be done about this statue, uh, removing it or maybe just swapping its head out for like a Ronald McDonald one from the outside of a McDonald's. Uh, would would that would there be an uprising of a sort? Well, I certainly don't want to speak for the Ukrainian population. My my dealings with the Ukrainian population have always been pleasant uh, at the farmers market where they make exceptional sausages that mm-hmm. I buy sometimes. But I bet, um, yeah, I I had no idea that we had Nazi statues around the country, uh, Ukrainian or otherwise. And I imagine most of Canada is probably on board with that as well. We had. This wasn't a highly publicized thing before this happened. So at the end of the day, who's really defending the Nazi statue with a lot of passion? Just the police. Yeah, just them. <laughs> but for their, I mean, even even some Ukrainians who are related to the the specific SS division in the past, I'm sure they'd be like, eh, eh. yeah, we were wrong. It's fine. I get it. <laughs> Grandpa sucked. Look, what are we gonna? What am I gonna say? Yeah. So let's talk about another international news story that i feel like i mean for i guess for obvious reasons it's not getting that much attention we at least here in the united states like we have bigger fish to fry but hong kong's new national security law is pretty important china passed a new security law for hong kong which critics have called the end of hong kong i did a solo episode of this podcast think it was last year might have been early this year about the protests in hong kong and what they're all about but basically hong kong was handed back to china from british control in 1997 but with a catch in that hong kong has its own sort of mini constitution called basic law and the simplest way to put it is people in hong kong have more freedoms than people in mainland china freedom of assembly, freedom of speech, independent judiciary, things like that. And this law basically takes all of that away. Here is what happens under that new law. Crimes of secession, subversion, terrorism, and collusion with foreign forces are punishable by a maximum sentence of life in prison. Damaging public transport systems is considered terrorism. Companies can be fined. If convicted under this law, Beijing will establish a security office in Hong Kong. 
Hong Kong's chief executive will have the power to appoint judges to hear national security cases. Those suspected of violating the law can be wiretapped and put under surveillance. Management of foreign non-governmental organizations and news agencies will be strengthened. And the law applies to non-permanent residents and people from outside Hong Kong who are not permanent residents of Hong Kong. So this is a quote from Professor Johannes Chan, a legal scholar at the University of Hong Kong. Effectively, they are imposing the People's Republic of China's criminal system onto the Hong Kong common law system, leaving them with complete discretion to decide who should fall into which system. And that all sounds really complex and hard to understand, but basically Hong Kong has been kind of autonomous from China since it was handed back to China in 1997, and this new national security law will make it not that. And it's all in response to the protests that happened late last year and earlier this year. And now people are deleting Facebook posts and resigning from political parties because they're afraid China is going to crack down on that ass. And one of the big reasons like Hong Kong matters so much to China is that Hong Kong is like an enormous economic powerhouse of a city. Like so much of the foreign investment that pours into China goes through Hong Kong. And that's one of the reasons they've been wanting it so they can just have absolute control over it. Um, they they want to be able to take it over and manage it the way they do. But one of the reasons that Hong Kong has been so successful as an economic powerhouse, powerhouse is because they, like you said, it's they, they kind of, they're kind of a country within a country a little bit. They, they kind of have, they kind of run things their own way. Um, and it's, uh, China taking them over, it's like, you know, just a random example, but like, uh, it's like if a shitty company takes over a great comedy website, which Never heard of us, it. Would, we would know nothing about that whatsoever. Uh, but like, <laughs> you're going to come in with all these motivations and you're going to tell them what to do when what they've been doing is fine. It's the reason you want to take them over. It's the, they're in the, they're somewhat not quite autonomous, but their relative autonomy has, has gotten them as successful as they are. And the reason, they're the reason you have so much foreign investment in your country to begin with. Yeah, it's Hong Kong is an especially rich city. They have, I believe I mentioned on the solo podcast about this, but I think they have the highest density of billionaires of any major city. It's kind of an untenable situation because even without this, that autonomy that they enjoy is a limited thing. Like they were handed back to China with the understanding that China would just let them be mostly free for like another 25 years. I think in like 2030 or something like that, they get completely handed back to China anyway. But I guess for them, it would have been nice to be free a little bit longer. Like, I don't know what the fuck anyone is going to do about this. Like it would take, it's one of those situations that, we like to pretend the United States sticks their head in for humanitarian reasons, but we don't ever do that. Like we get involved in foreign matters if there's some sort of financial gain to be had for us, but we'll still be able to invest in Hong Kong, even if China takes them over. So we don't fucking care. And people are going to end up going to Chinese prisons, like whatever, 
China, like China has concentration camps for Muslims right now. I'm sure they'll have them for residents of Hong Kong who just refuse to stop protesting also. But like, do we even want to do anything about this? Like, I feel like a part, a big part of what's wrong with the United States is that we give off this image as police of the world. Like, there's a fucking comedy movie about it called Team America World Police. And that's what we are. And like, for a long time before Trump became president, a lot of people on the left were like, yeah, we should stop getting involved in other people's affairs. And then when Trump ran for office and was like, we should stop getting involved in other people's affairs, a lot of people on the left were like, no, no, we can't abandon our allies. But can't we? Like, I, Trump's a fucking monster and deserves to burn in hell. But I also do think it's high time we stop fucking around in other countries' affairs and pretending like we're doing it out of the goodness of our heart. Like, this is one situation where I'm like, eh, Hong Kong might be on their own. I don't know. That is kind of the sense I get, too, is that you're not going to fight a land war here with China. It's, it's not going to happen. That's just like a straight-up world war, and it would be ruin a generation that is already thoroughly ruined, and we've barely gotten off our feet. Uh, the only thing you could do is try to hurt them economically, uh, which is damn near impossible, considering how every major corporation sees them as like it's like uh, there's gold in our hills like that's china is just one giant gold mine waiting to happen no matter the industry you're in um because there's an enormous market of people who suddenly have money there's suddenly uh an enormous middle class a huge upper class and they want to spend and they want to buy and they want to start their own companies even if it is under a very very strict chinese rule but as long as that those markets exist uh then I don't know. I don't, I don't see, I don't see how you do this. I, I honestly don't see a way out and, and to just kind of, what do you just let them do it? I, I guess. I don't know. I'm, I'm too stupid. I don't know how to solve that. <laughs> yeah. I think you just let it happen. Who knows? Best of luck, Hong Kong. <laughs> we got a lot of problems over here too. <laughs> Speaking of huge problems. I mean, one of the problems we need to address before we worry about Hong Kong being cracked down violently on by China. Japan, these fucking monsters, want the Yakuza to stop giving candy to children. Yakuza, if you're unfamiliar, one of the biggest criminal organizations in the world. So obviously the thing, you're going to make a very big public display about stopping when it comes to them, is them giving candy to children on Halloween very kind of them it's a great pr move yeah it's a classic <laughs> drug dealer move like everyone has seen new jack city and nino brown <laughs> handing out turkeys on thanksgiving like it's a very it's a very classic drug dealer pr move and they've apparently been doing this since 2015 at least or since 2013 they do it every year at their headquarters in the city of kobe we know where their headquarters are which I don't think is supposed to be a thing with a huge criminal organization. Do we know if it's just like a symbolic headquarters, like it's just like a grandmother's house, or is it like it says Yakuza, like a big building that says Yakuza <laughs> across it with like a logo? Well, the, the Yakuza have never been super secretive in Japan. No. It's like they're widely known. People in a lot of neighborhoods, as I understand it, they're actually very welcome 
by people. And they're also super diverse. They do some crazy shit. Like I, I, I researched this a while ago. There's, they've got a side industry of poaching sea cucumbers. So <laughs> that makes like literally 200 million a year for them. Jesus. And they also, there's, there's like a syndicate of some, at some point that was stealing watermelons from farms and reselling them. <laughs> this is like a mid-level Yakuza boss was in charge of that at some point. They published their own motivational magazine that shares stories of successful Yakuza members with other ones so they can like aspire to greatness <laughs> or, you know, let each other know what's going on and feel that they're a part of something bigger. This makes me think of like a Walmart newsletter or something, but it's just, you know, for the good job you've done committing crime in, <laughs> in your large scale sort of gangland activity. It sounds like a multi-level marketing system. Uh, but for just straight crime, just like good old fashioned, traditional stealing watermelon kind of crime. <laughs> Japan is so polite. Like that's always the, the stereotype about Japan, but it's so true. They like, they let their biggest criminal organizations just publish inspirational magazines and shit. <laughs> like we wouldn't, we wouldn't let MS 13 publish a fucking magazine in the United States. That would never goddamn happen. It's great. And yeah, apparently kids who show up at their headquarters, which we all know where they are. They're in uh, the, the home of the, the Kobe beef. The kids who show up at Halloween get showered with candy and gifts and money. And now police have introduced a bill that would ban Yakuza from giving these gifts to anyone under the age of 18. Isn't everything Yakuza does already against the law? <laughs> Like is, yeah, but if if they're handing out candy, we have to draw a line somewhere. And especially if they're giving out full size candy bars, like if they're giving out full size Snickers, oh, they got a generation wrapped up for life. Just showing off doing that, but it's in <laughs> Japan, so it would be like squid ink flavored Snickers or something yeah. crazy like that. Kind of like Snickers. matcha Kit Kat. <laughs> yeah, I don't get like. You don't have to make a law against things the Yakuza is doing to criminalize them. They are criminals. Like, everything they do is against the law. Like, is this going to be the thing? Is this going to be what takes Yakuza down? <laughs> They're just like, we refuse to stop giving candy to children on <laughs> yeah, Halloween. This is the Al Capone tax evasion of, of the Yakuza. Oh, no, they, they broke the camel's back when they gave out candy bars. Some mid-level soldier just pleading with the boss to stop. Don't give them the candy. It's going to bring us down. I don't know why they have that accent. Probably because I don't want to be racist on this podcast. Good call. So that's the accent they get. I'm just a southern Yakuza boss. But, uh... <laughs> We're from Japan, here. Going to whip up some sushi later. Give me that watermelon. You ever have seaweed salad here? I fuck with a seaweed salad. For the record, if any Yakuza are listening and want to ingratiate themselves to this podcast, send me a gallon of seaweed salad. I'll eat eh, maybe two cups and then the rest will spoil in my refrigerator. <laughs> All right. Let's get to our last segment. <sighs> with everything going on, it's easy to forget. Donald Trump is still our fucking president. And he's still out there in the world doing Donald Trump things. 
And this is the segment where we talk about Donald Trump out there in the world doing Donald Trump things. It's called Trump is still our president. <sighs> Ooh. We've already covered China and Japan. So let's get a Korea story in here to end things. According to Republican governor of Maryland, Larry Hogan, switch that around in your head again for a second, people. Republican governor, Larry Hogan. Donald Trump disparaged the people of South Korea during a private meeting with the governor and his wife. Oh, also, Governor Larry Hogan's wife is from South Korea. Apparently, during the meeting, Trump praised President Xi Jinping of China, Prime Minister Shinzo Abe of Japan, and even North Korean dictator Kim Jong-un. Then he turned his attention to South Korea and said he didn't like dealing with President Moon from South Korea and said South Koreans are terrible people and that he doesn't understand why the United States protects them because they don't pay us anything. All of this with Larry Hogan's South Korean wife sitting right there, which this is Trump as fuck. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah he was playing all his hits. Uh, yeah, he was, he was going, uh, Oh, I love this dictator. Oh, this dictator is great. And then he tried out some new material. He tried to sneak it in there and it, it didn't go over well with the crowd. First rule of comedy, read the room. <laughs> and you know, he had no idea that she was South Korean. I, I, I wonder what, like he it just like, does he think everyone's from, I don't even guess what's going on in his racist head. I'm not going to get into that rabbit hole, but yeah, he had no idea who he was talking to for sure. And he's the president. He could find out. But that would require effort. That would require research and work and like flashcards with pictures on them and their name, the person's name on the back. But that would take away from his uh, like Fox time, the precious time that he gets every morning in which he has to have his soul fulfilled by people telling him he's right. Yeah, you would think at least like one aide or someone would be like, hey, South Korea. In case you were wondering what Asian nation the Asian woman sitting next to the governor hails from, uh, just write it down. Keep in mind, South Korea, if you're going to say something shitty about an Asian nation, which you are, because there's an Asian per person in the room, just, you know, tailor it to that person. But he didn't do any of that. And we're not just talking about the wife of a Republican governor at the outset of the coronavirus pandemic, when Trump was like, yeah, we're just going to leave it up to states to figure out how to get all this testing done. What are we, the government? Maryland, needing lots and lots of tests, decided to team up with South Korea to secure those tests. And with the help of Larry Hogan and his South Korean wife, her name is Yumi, they were able to secure 500,000 test kits for Maryland through cooperation with south korea and then after all that trump was like you should have just asked mike pence and it's like you just said everyone should like the states have to defend for themselves so he's shitting on a woman who very much helped her state in the face of a horrifying pandemic and that's why people love him it is a country that that helped him look better, slightly better, uh, in, in his upward climb, uh, that he, like the, the ditch he's built himself in amid all this pandemic. They helped us, and he still 
cannot prevent himself from calling an entire nation terrible people. I want to know, I don't know if it's out there and I just haven't seen it. What was the inciting incident of that made him say, oh, they're terrible? Because from all we know so far, they did everything in their power to help and to make him look good. And he just shits on them, which is, I guess, like a pattern. That's what he does all the time. Uh, all it takes is someone for just some minor infraction uh, or to... Uh, leave the administration and talk shit about him to all of a sudden turn and say, Oh, they're an idiot. Oh, they're stupid. I don't know why anybody would ever hire them. I certainly wouldn't. Uh, he's he, I want to know what that incident is. I don't, do we know, is it out there? I'm going to be honest. I think he just saw an Asian person in the room. <laughs> God, the sad truth is it's probably accurate. It's probably frighteningly accurate. He saw them. And then the, the racist parts of his brain, which is like all of it, uh, just, that just activated. Like if he had some like little sensors attached to his skull, his brain would have been on fire. The peanut in there would have exploded. Yeah. He played racist roulette and lost basically. Oh, but that's our president. Hey, very proud of him. Remember when we got mad at the Dixie chicks for criticizing the president? <laughs> oh man, they'd be heroes now if they were still alive. Rest in peace. Rest in peace, Dixie chicks. So I think that's our episode. So enlightening. We learned so much today. It was we did good boys. We did. It was really nice. We did. Good. I love talking to you. It's wonderful. Yeah. It was nice to not be by myself this time. Thank you both for abandoning me last episode rude plan to record that as a team it was just me <laughs> we must clarify that you went rogue and that you did this on your own and, and told us afterward and then it went up like the next day i did message you moments before it went up to my credit mm-hmm. uh what do we have to plug before we get out of here besides how you can uh uh, subscribe to the network at unpopsnetwork.supercast.tech or patreon.com slash unpops. Also, if you go to anchor.fm slash in broad daylight, there's a support button. If you click that, whatever dollar amount you choose goes directly to the co-host. Tip your co-host, I call it. So go do that. And uh, that's all I got to plug. Lewis, what do you got? Um, just follow me on Twitter at Lewis underscore Prada. That's pretty much it. 40. What do you got? Uh, I made fun of Lady Antebellum on Twitter a while ago, and it's it, look it up. It's funny. <laughs> Those motherfuckers deserve it. They Can't do. Change your name and then sue the black person who had the name before you? Come on. Uh, all right. Let's get the fuck out of here. 40, say goodbye. Goodbye. Lewis, say goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, everybody. We love you. <laughs>